Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Screen time is a huge problem. The news media has let us know that too much screen time causes obesity, and we've heard about behavior and mood problems, so we all feel guilty now when we veg out. We also feel like we need to manage our kids' screen time. The thing is, we have almost no idea what our kids are doing online, so we try to find educational activities, and honestly, I have a suspicion that not all screen time is that bad. It wasn't that long ago that screens meant television and video games, but Now there are like a million interactive games and storytelling apps and YouTube videos. I myself watch drum instruction videos all the time. Does that count as screen time? If I'm doing that, what is my son doing? He might be learning about the Crimean War. I mean, I don't know. The other thing is that screens used to be tied to our house. Screen time was automatically limited because you could only use it in one place. But now it's in our hands all the time. It's not screen time anymore. Now it's digital media, it's mobile, it's everywhere, and it's impossible to limit. Most of us have heard the recommendation that we need to stick to two hours or less of screen time. And you know how our phones like to tell us how much time we've spent on them. So we feel a little guilty and maybe a little shame. But here's the thing. Research now shows that some of it isn't so bad. Yes, screens are a huge problem, but not in the ways you think. It's time to ditch your guilt and shame. On today's episode, I'm going to share with you how to stop the battle over screen time with yourself and your kids and how to feel better about using digital media. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. Here's the problem about digital media. We've all gotten the message that we need to reduce our kids' screen time, and this turns into a battle in a lot of homes. It's super hard for a lot of us to wrap our heads around this because we just don't really know that much about the effects of media because it's so broad now. Let's break this down. First, the types of media out there have expanded very quickly, and we can't have experience with everything our kids are using. It's just not possible. I talked with Dr. Jenny Radeski, She's an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Michigan Medical School, and she specializes in developmental and behavioral pediatrics. She's also the co-director of, wait for it, this is a very long title, the American Academy of Pediatrics National Center of Excellence on Social Media and Youth Mental Health. Her research examines the use of mobile technology by both parents and children. Dr. Rodeski has updated the new guidelines, and she's going to share some of her insights with us. First, I asked her about how media has changed the landscape. So I think what is so hard about parenting right now is that we all grew up in, I don't know, I grew up in the 80s, right? Or 90s when the technologies in our houses were like a TV in the room and there was a telephone on the wall and like the new technologies coming out were like call waiting and cable. My parents were like, oh no, cable. We can't get cable for the kids the Atari came out, you know, and then like Nintendo came out. So there were these technologies, but they were coming out slowly. They were confined to one room, usually. They were not personalized. They were not collecting data about us in that interactive way. And so 
they kind of had their place. It sometimes, certainly it could become excessive. There were concerns about too much violence, too much negative content, like, you know, highly sexualized content or other inappropriate role modeling for kids. But from a clinical and a research perspective, this was more contained. The researchers knew, okay, if I want to assess media use in families, households, I will ask about, is the TV on in the background? I will ask, what were the shows that your child watched yesterday? Because it was usually something like SpongeBob or Sesame Street. And then you would ask about things like, is it on in the bedroom? Is it on at mealtime? So these were these like, there were boundaries around when and where technology could be used. This was the state of technology use when the original guidelines were written seven years ago. That's when that blanket statement of no more than two hours of screen time a day for kids over two was released. But a lot has changed since then. And that's why Dr. Radeski says it's so hard for them to make recommendations. We have been trying to research this to give families evidence-based guidance on the best ways to try to manage this at home. But our research can't keep up because technology is advancing so, so fast. And things are being introduced and adopted and getting to scale and growing fast and breaking things so fast that we're like, wait, wait, okay, we were just studying mobile devices and now you're telling us about AI and now I have to build a research program about chat GBT? Like, hold on, I'm still researching YouTube. So we can't keep up. And that means that there's this chasm of evidence around certain things that parents have to make decisions about. They may just go by their gut or their instinct. They may feel overwhelmed and feel like, I can't even handle this. I'm just going to let my kid do whatever they want. And again, that reinforces that sense of like, this is my fault that I allowed this to happen because there wasn't some larger guidance or norm about everyone does this sorts of behavior. If you think about other behaviors in our society, like around drinking alcohol or other sorts of behaviors that there are what are called cultural bounds around, like there's just norms around when you do it and when you don't. And we still just haven't established a lot of those for these technologies because they're just coming at us so fast. If you feel confused, overwhelmed, frustrated, or any other feeling about your kid's use of digital devices, just know we all feel that way. See, even the researchers and developmental behavioral pediatricians who study this full-time feel like that. Dr. Rodeski shares her experience with developing the media use guidelines for kids. I was one of the authors of the screen time guidelines in 2016. So I hear all the time, these make me feel so guilty. And I've thought, why? Why? We don't mean to. You know, we're trying to use supportive language. We're trying to give you some practical guidance. We created a family media plan tool like to go through, you know, trying to be supportive. I think the whole idea of screen time triggers guilt for a couple of reasons. One is that it's assuming individual responsibility over a family behavior that's so defined by structural forces. I know I just said a whole lot of jargon, so I'm going to break that down. Individual responsibility is this idea that you as a person or a parent are responsible for making sure your family has healthy foods, that they exercise enough, that they sleep well enough. It's all on your shoulders. You've got to make sure that they don't watch excessive screen time. You've got to make sure that they're not sexting each other. You've got to make sure that they're not wanting to be some viral YouTuber who gets creepy comments from adults on it. 
it's setting us up for failure. And that's where I suspect a lot of the guilt comes from, is that we are trying to push this boulder up the hill where we're saying, okay, I'm trying to get my kid off this video game and it feels impossible. And now they're yelling at me and I feel like a bad mom. And I am blaming myself, even though the video game is designed to keep them on as long as possible. There's textbooks written about how to make the most engaging video game that people don't want to stop playing. We feel this way because kids are exposed to things we didn't experience. And that's unsettling to not know more than our kids know. This is compounded by the fact that we know how dangerous media can be. We know our kids are the targets of marketing schemes and even worse dangers that are online. I think that if we as parents understand that this is the problem, that we just don't know how to navigate the digital world, that thought actually helps us a lot to know how to handle it. We can figure this stuff out together with our kids and that only makes our relationships with them better. This technology problem is really an opportunity to open up conversations with our kids that take us into all aspects of their health and their lives. And we do know some things from research that are gonna make you feel a lot better. Here's the truth about digital media. Time spent online is not the primary concern anymore. It's not really your job as a parent to time your kid's media use and to regulate it. Plus, it's impossible. You're up against huge corporations with billions of dollars and PhD game designers creating content aimed at your children and designed to keep them online as long as possible. That's a tough challenge. So while time isn't the pure focus anymore, content is crucial. It's about the content kids are spending time with and the content of their lives outside of the digital world. That's what you want to focus on. Dr. Radeski framed this problem in a very startling way that kind of freaked me out. You can have a teenager with a phone or their computer or their school-issued device, and you may say, half an hour on that device, that seems like a healthy amount of time. But you can see a lot of toxic content in 30 minutes. You can see a lot of eating disorder content. You can be recommended self-harm content. You can have someone harass you or bully you. At the same time, you could have three hours of playing hilarious games with your friends and not have all of that toxicity or negative interactions. And it can be on the whole, a positive experience. Content is so crucial. One study showed that switching from violent content to educational content actually improved behavior problems in kids. The study also showed that the quality of parenting had a really strong effect on a child's behavior. Kids who are exposed to inappropriate content and have inconsistent parenting, their behavior is negatively affected, not surprisingly. But a warm parenting style in kids who are exposed to educational content actually had positive effects on a child's behavior. So if your kids are using devices with good content that you have vetted and you engage with your kids with a positive parenting style, I am not going to let you feel guilty about using screens with them. In fact, I might applaud you because it is our job as parents to teach our children how to use devices appropriately. And you can't do that if they have no access to digital media. Digital media is not going away. So unfortunately, you need to teach your kids how to choose healthy foods, how to stay physically active, how to get good sleep, and how to use digital media. And I'm going to talk about how to do that. But first, we have to talk a little bit more about science. 
first, the obesity thing. Yeah, there's strong evidence of an association between time spent on screens and being overweight. One of the more recent studies showed that watching TV more than an hour and a half a day was a risk factor for obesity, but this effect was primarily seen for ages four to nine years old. To me, that means you really do need to be aware of how much time your elementary school kids are spending online and be sure their online time is not interfering with them getting exercise. These kids age four to nine, they need to play hard at least an hour a day, one solid hour every day. So focus on that number. For kids over 12, they really should already have an exercise habit established and be involved in some kind of organized sport or activity, something that gets them moving every day. And then you don't need to regulate how much time they're spending online, except for those kids, they need a curfew, a bedtime. These kids over 12, you have to give them a bedtime because digital media interferes with sleep as we all know. So for 12 and up, talk with them to choose a reasonable bedtime and they have to turn off all screens at least an hour before bedtime. You need to make that contract with them. We know the light from your digital devices interferes with melatonin production. That's the hormone that helps you fall asleep. There's no way to argue against physiology. So this is just one boundary that you as a parent, you have to set along with your child. I know interfering with sleep is a big concern because that's what parents tell me when they're in my clinic. But another common concern I hear from parents is about development. Yes, excessive media use is very strongly associated with language delays and delays in social emotional behavior. But these kinds of developmental problems are far more associated with a lack of quality parent-child interaction. It's not the time on the screen causing the problem. Research and my firsthand experience shows it's the lack of meaningful time spent interacting with an adult. That's the problem. So don't feel guilty when you put your child in front of a show so that you can make dinner. I almost don't care how old your child is. If they can actually sit for 20 minutes and watch like Bluey, you have my permission. If you talk to your child and you read to them every day, a little bit of digital media or some television is not gonna hurt your child. The biggest problem I see with digital media interfering with spending quality time together, it's not the child using the screen, it's the parents. It's the parents' use of screens. Dr. Radeski's team studied this in two separate research investigations when they watched parents with their kids while they were eating at a fast food restaurant. And in a second study she did, the researchers watched to see how parents used their phones while their kids were offered new foods, things they hadn't tried before. And here's what they found. We did a study where we were anonymously observing families in fast food restaurants all around Boston. We were taking field notes, just kind of observing what happens to the, the serve and return of interactions when a mobile device comes out. We were looking for both parents and kids to use mobile devices, but it was mostly parents. And it yielded some interesting insights that some parents were using it here and there, otherwise having a meal. No one's perfect. It's not like you were sitting there and having this amazing in-depth conversation with your kids, but just, you know, that you were there present with each other. Other parents use their phones for longer periods of time. We're looking at the screen and scrolling for the majority of the meal. And granted, it's a fast food meal, so it's not like you're sitting down at, at home, but it still was just a little snapshot into the dynamics when a phone comes out. 
we suspected that some of those parents, and we followed up with this in another research study where we had videotapes of parents and kids during a food tasting task. Now, tasting new foods is a stressful task for kids. So this was part of another study about eating habits that gave kids four foods. Two of them were novel, two of them were familiar, like a hostess cupcake or halva, which is a you know a dessert that most kids have not tried. And then they recorded parent-child interactions during this task. The task was kind of boring. So about a quarter of parents brought out their phone during the task and spontaneously started to use it. And that gave us an opportunity to code how much parent-child interaction occurs when a phone is out versus not. For that same study, those same parents had been interviewed using this in-depth interview called the working model of the child interview, where you try to understand your child's mental states. How does this parent think about their child's thoughts or their child's emotions and behavior? It's part of attachment. It's part of the way we build empathy and get inside other people's minds. So we found that the the parents who use their phones more during this eating encounter also had less reflective and less sensitive mental models of their kids. They tended to think of their kids as more difficult. Now, this was cross-sectional, so we don't know what caused what, right? Is using your phone more around your kids during home times like meals or in the car or when you're sitting on the couch. Does that disrupt opportunities to talk with your kids, watch them, think about what's going through their minds? Or is it that parents who naturally don't think as much about their kids' mental states are more likely to use their phone because they either don't think their child will mind it because they're not thinking about how their child will react to them taking out their phone? Or Maybe they like the little bit of distance that having a phone out gives them from their child. So that sort of um, distancing, we've heard from other parents when we've interviewed them that taking your phone out gives you this like virtual escape from your kid when your child's being really difficult. It's helping serve a purpose of self-regulation, as you said, but it's also saying, I'm not available. Observations from these two studies revealed that parents use their phones more when they have a concept of their child that their child is more difficult, or they use their phones more when the parent just needs to take a break. They also use their phones more if the parent has a concept that their child's mind doesn't really need anything from the parent. You can ask yourself if you identify with this. If you spend any of your time thinking about what your child might be thinking, or if you think about how your child's feeling, you're not this type of parent. There are parents who don't think about what their child's thinking or how they're feeling. And those are the parents that tend to use their phones more when they need a distraction. You may identify with wanting to take a quick break, a mental break, and social media and texting with friends can provide this. We all use our devices to calm down, and sometimes that's okay. You just need to be aware of being sucked in and losing track of time. We also know that teens use media to calm down. We all use media to calm down, and the problem with that is that we may not learn healthier ways to calm down. And that's the findings from other work done by Dr. Radeski. So we did this study following kids who were ages three to five, and we followed them across six months, baseline, three months, six months. And at each of those waves, we asked about how 
likely their parents are to give them a mobile device to calm down. So what we found was, is that between waves two and three, if the more you used mobile devices to calm kids down, the worse their emotional reactivity was three months later. And the same was true that the worse their emotional reactivity was, then three months later, the more they used mobile devices to calm down. We all have had kids who are just, they, they just go zero to 60 really fast. They, they get frustrated easily. They're really intense. And what we showed was basically that they are given mobile devices to calm down more because it works. But then in the long run, it is displacing the opportunity for a couple of things. A parent or caregiver saying, hey, you're mad. Here's what you can do when you're mad. Or let's do some things to calm down. Or you know what, let's go read a book. Something else that might be distracting, but actually provides that sort of relational input that calms kids down and lets them know, I understand you. I get what you're going through. We can handle it. A big takeaway from that though is understanding that that bi-directional relationship between your emotions and how you use devices to calm down, that's relevant throughout life. That's relevant when you are a 10-year-old who is wanting more independence from his parents and starting to argue a lot about mobile devices or video games and wanting to use them whenever they're stressed out. It's the same thing for an anxious teen who might always just grab their phone and go into their room every time they want to calm down. And so the message here is not to shame the, the parents or the kids who use technology that way. It's to empower them to find other regulation strategies. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everyone uses digital media to relax. So what do we know about this? Studies show that television watching has decreased in kids under eight. They're doing other things. But kids over the age of eight are binge watching television shows. Their average daily time on TV is more than two hours. One of the biggest problems here is that they seem to be watching TV at the same time they're doing their homework. And there's a lot of evidence that this has a really bad impact on learning. Ask your teenagers if they're watching television while they do homework and ask them if they think this is a good idea. Ask them how much they're interrupted by social media when they're doing homework. We also know that teens using social media, they're not on just one app. 70% of teenagers have what we call a social media portfolio. That means they're on lots of sites. What's the problem here? There's a lot of information that social media and mental health are closely linked. The most interesting thing I've seen on this is that the key factor is how a teenager is using social media. So teens who use it passively, they just like view others' content and don't really get engaged by posting on their own. Those teens have decreased life satisfaction in studies. And teenagers who interact with others and post online, they tend to actually have better life satisfaction. So you may want to pay attention to how your teenager is using social media. We can't just take kids' phones away. That's not the solution. Some kids need it. They need that connection. 
there are benefits of interacting on social media, especially for kids who feel like they don't have social connections in the rest of their life. And digital media does have benefits. When I asked my son if he thinks the amount of time he spends on Reddit and Discord is healthy, he told me he loves the exposure he gets to new ideas and he learns a lot. For other kids, connecting online, it's an opportunity for social interaction and support, particularly among kids who feel excluded elsewhere in their lives. So taking their phone away or telling them they can't be on certain platforms, that puts you in the driver's seat. It makes you the regulator and Do you really have the time or energy to manage that? You're just going to alienate your kid if you take their phones away. And they may feel like you don't understand them or that you're not even trying to understand them. And kids need to feel like you are there for them, that you care. They need that more than they need you to tell them what to do. Dr. Radeski also has good advice from her experience working with teens and from the extensive research she did working on the policy statements surrounding this topic. Here's how you can work with your child. You still have to meet them where they're at and try to understand, okay, what are you using? What's your favorite apps? Who are your favorite influencers? What do you wish social media could be? How do you wish it could be designed better? What do you wish people would stop posting online? What's the most like toxic thing you saw today? What's the most inspirational thing you saw today? Start with those general conversations or even talk about your own social media use where if you are on social media, you could say, you know what? I started following this one influencer because they were making these funny videos and now it's it's turned kind of negative and I don't really like it. And I, what do you think of that? Kids have opinions. <laughs> they are often more experienced than us at this. So ask more questions and just sit back and listen and try to just get some hints of what you think your child's experiencing. And then, you know, especially for kids with anxiety, a lot of the issues are their information binging about things that make them anxious, climate change, Ukraine war, COVID, police violence, you know, other things that are that are making them anxious. They may be binging on drama that's online. So talking about whatever it is that they're experiencing can help you build insight in them to say, yeah, I know it just makes you want to click to the next thing, to the next thing. But that doesn't actually make you feel better <laughs> when you see all that. What, what would you, you know, ask the child, what would you cut out? How do you know it's time to turn it off? Let your child generate that answer. We've heard from teenagers that when they generate the solutions, they're much more likely to follow through on them. Our kids are growing up in an era of highly personalized media experiences. So parents need to develop a personal plan. And asking questions, that's your ticket in. You might annoy your kids, but sit next to your child. Ask them what they're looking at and doing and ask them to show you. Navigating the online world is hard. We didn't even touch on the dangers like online bullying, privacy concerns. These are the things that may come up when you talk to your kids. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer to managing the digital world. Your rules and your practices are going to depend on your child's age, their developmental stage, and we have to balance their media time and be a mentor and a guide for their use starting as early as age one. We have to keep them safe. So what's the solution to the problem of our online lives? First, let go of thinking about the amount of time your kids are using screens. 
all screen time is not equal. Focus on the content. So I asked Dr. Radeski how to do that. What if you're a parent who doesn't spend much time on social media at all, or your social media bubble is about something completely different than what your child's is, right? So there are resources. I, I go most to Common Sense Media because they have done lots of reviews of what's out there, what are kids using right now, and what do parents need to know about it. I've also subscribed to the newsletter from the Screenagers movie because I think that they send out really good talking points, conversation starters, to, to help you start this open communication channels that your child won't feel judged and they won't feel shame. And it's more just, I'm curious, tell me about this. Because if you hear your child describing something that you're like, well, that doesn't sound right. Like that sounds a little manipulative or that sounds like they're being kind of a jerk. Again, like don't jump in and just tell your child, you shouldn't follow that influencer. They sound like a jerk. But you might say like, well, what would happen if someone did that at your school? What do you think of the message that this influencer is sending? And again, ask more questions to see if they can come up with a little bit of more critical resistance to the messages. Another question is not just about the content that they're seeing, but also like, all right, if you look at your phone, how much time you spend on different apps, tell me which one of these brings you the most joy and tell me which one like feels the most toxic or feels the most mixed. Because that's what most people say is it's like, it's a little fun, it's a little toxic. I can't predict when it's going to be. And then make a plan, you and your child. All right, I'm going to find the app that's that most kind of mixed or icky and I'm going to decrease my time on it or I'm going to take a break from it for a week or two. And do this like shared little break together where you're like, we'll sit on the steps and (laughs) chat through about what this felt like. For young kids, I recommend finding age-appropriate content by browsing Common Sense Media. It's a website. And spend time using devices with your young child. Point things out. Talk about what you're playing. This is how you start to teach them to use media, especially young kids. We know, for example, that eBooks have these interactive features that they seem enhancing, but studies show they're actually so distracting that they decrease a child's comprehension. So you have to interact with your child when you're using an eBook. For kids under 18 months, They should only use screens for video chatting or for looking at pictures with you. In these young kids, teach them ways to calm down that don't involve a screen. Teach them to take breaths and label their feelings. Like literally say, I see you feel angry so that they learn how to identify their emotions and know that it is totally fine to use a device to distract when you're on an airplane. I'm not going to criticize you. On that note, since devices can be taken anywhere, create unplugged spaces and unplugged times in your home and be very specific about it and enforce that rule. For older kids, encourage ways for them to use their devices for creative and social things. My son creates music online, for example. If your child draws, encourage them to learn new techniques online or learn to use design apps. Next, make your expectations and rules very clear about the topics like sleep, exercise, reading, and social interaction. Your older kids have to be meeting these expectations in order to have free reign of their online time. If your child's getting physical activity every day, they have friends, 
and they go to bed at a reasonable hour, as long as they're turning their screens off an hour before bedtime and not watching TV and using social media when they're doing homework, you don't need to regulate their time online. And as a family, watch TV together. Talk about what you're watching. Choose shows together. I'm telling you now, let go of any criticism you have of yourself or your kids about their screen time. You have the most up-to-date knowledge now about what's unhealthy and what is not so bad about our online lives. If you want to hear more about the work Dr. Radeski is doing, be sure to listen to the bonus episode when Dr. Radeski shares strategies for working with game designers and policymakers to create a healthier online world for our kids. If you learned something or took away even just one idea from this episode, please leave me a rating and a review so I know you want to hear more. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.